College football's 2021 season kicks off next weekend. Who's the favorite in each Power 5 conference? Plus, Oregon and Oregon State mandate vaccination status for entry to their games. I'm Jay Smith, and this is After Further Review. And now, after further review, a Clemson student's perspective on sports. And a personal foul on number 99 of the defense. After he tackled the quarterback, he's giving them business down there. That's a 15-yard penalty. Well, hey, everyone. Welcome into another episode of After Further Review. Excited to be bringing you... Uh, Man, we're, we're almost there. The, the countdown clock is almost up. We are uh, just a few days away from week one of the 2021 college football season. It's, uh, it's hard to believe, uh, you know, but there, and there's been so much going on this offseason, uh, you know, in terms of just big time moves around college football. Obviously, the Oklahoma and Texas announcement going to the SEC is one that sticks out, but there's been a lot of other news that we've touched on as well, and I'm excited to finally be getting to these games to talk about them. I know in last week's show I promised I would actually break down some matchups, get into the nitty-gritty of some of these games. So with all that being said, let's go ahead and talk about some of the best games to in Week 1, some of the games that you should uh, definitely have an eye out on and games that you need to be tuning into. Uh, now listen, not every game is a top-five matchup, right? We can't have a bunch of Georgia Clemson's uh, every weekend or two or three times a weekend, but there are still some good games out there, and uh, they might be flying under your radar a little bit. Um, and, uh, and so with that, you know, we're going to kind of get into this. Now, the 2021 season officially kicks off at the FBS level um, with Nebraska visiting Illinois. You could catch this game Saturday, August 28th, 1 p.m. on Fox, and um, I think this will be you know, not just the first FBS college football game of the season, but it'll also be a pretty interesting Big Ten game to watch. Uh, you know, listen, the Huskers and the Fighting Illini, right, they are looking to rebound after a tough 2020 season, and this would give them an opportunity to have an early season Big Ten win. Uh, Nebraska's offense is led by quarterback Adrian Martinez, right, the kind of do-it-all, one-man band guy. And, you know, he's made a difference not just through the air but also on the ground. But listen, for Martinez to be successful, he is going to have to avoid Illinois defensive end Owen Carney, uh, who the last matchup against Nebraska recorded one and a half sacks. So it's going to be an interesting matchup with Martinez on offense for Nebraska and then obviously that Illini uh, defense, especially the front seven but, uh, you know, Nebraska's returning several key players on the offensive side of the ball. Again, though, we've, we've touched on how Martinez is really the, the weapon and the, the major cog in the machine that makes that offense work. He led the Huskers in passing and rushing last year. So that right there should tell you, okay, this is a dynamic guy. He can make plays, and he's, you know, a large part of their success. You know, obviously Nebraska's not had a ton of uh, success in the win column, but still, their ability to move the ball is pretty pretty good. So, you know, he's he's definitely going to be able to make some plays, I think. And then you also, you also have the tight end, Austin Allen. The tight end is an interesting position, especially at the college level, where they can really be a secret weapon. We've seen some national title teams in the past few years take advantage 
of the tight end position and use it to their advantage with play calling. Uh, so I think for Nebraska, you know, this will be a good opportunity to uh, to see how is Martinez matured throughout the offseason and can he continue to keep pace with the type of performance that he was putting on the field week in, week out uh, last season. Now, if you look at Illinois, you got running back Chase Brown. He's back after his 540-yard uh, rushing performance last year. That led the team. He's going to try and better those numbers. Offensive line for Illinois is a little more seasoned, a little more experienced. You got that really all behind center Doug Kramer. And I think they're going to be a pretty stout offensive unit within the Big Ten, within the confines of the Big Ten. And you got new coach Brett Bielma, right? You know, Bielma, he is now the head coach at Illinois, and he's more of a running guy. So I really am looking for Chase Brown to have a standout year, and I think uh, it'll bode well for Illinois. Hey, they might not be winning eight, nine games, but if they can become a respectable contender in the Big Ten, maybe go 500 or get to that point, you never you never know, really. I mean, it could be a team that you, you might have to, you know, your Ohio State's, uh, your Penn State's, they may have to circle that game uh, in a few years down the road. So, again, both Nebraska and Illinois are aiming to kind of build off of last season. It should be a pretty competitive opening contest. I'm expecting... A good win. I'm expecting a, a, a you know a chance to watch two teams that won an early conference game in the W column uh, start their resume off strong. I think it'll be an interesting game to watch and one that you should definitely tune into. Again, that game kicks off in week zero, Saturday, August 28th. So next Saturday uh, at 1 p.m. on Fox. All right, let's move now into the actual week one. We started week zero. Technically, we're going to get into week one. That, uh, that is the following weekend. So we've got on Thursday, September 2nd, Boise State at UCF, 7 p.m. on ESPN. This is, a, this is, I think, a really intriguing matchup that not a lot of people are talking about, right? you got two premier group of five programs in a, on a Thursday night clash. I mean, this is uh is I think going to be an exciting football game. You know, Boise State, right? They're a school and a program that I mean, for me at least, all I can, you know, the 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 pinnacle of Boise State football is the Statue of Liberty play against the was it Oklahoma and I want to say the Sugar Bowl. I think that's right. Or maybe it's the Fiesta Bowl. Might have been the Fiesta Bowl. But that that play, right, where they beat the Sooners in that big-time bowl game. And, and it's been a little while since we've seen Boise State at that level of national prominence, right? The days of Chris Peterson, Kellen Moore, uh, in that mid-2000s era. But Boise State has not gone quietly into the night. They are still a respectable program. Uh, and the same can be said for UCF, right? UCF has placed uh, themselves in that sort of conversation and the premier, I guess, groupings within the, the group of five programs uh, since that undefeated run in 2017. And UCF is going to sh- try to show with, I think, this game that they are one of the best group of five programs in the country. And now Boise State is returning 16 starters this year. Uh, so, you know, an experienced Boise State squad, a team that's used to success, that's used to being in, you know, big big matchups for that group of five level. Again, these are not power five schools, but but group of five schools, uh, this is 
This is a game you're going to want to watch. I mean, it really is. It, it, it's a, maybe a little under the radar, Thursday night, week one, a little sleepy. There's no numbers next to these two schools, right? It's not a ranked matchup. But this is one I think you're going to want to watch. Again, the experience on the Boise State side, you know, you've got uh, you know so many uh, skill players there. I mean, just like wide receiver um, Khalil Shakir for Boise State, dynamic guy. Uh, and then obviously on the... On the other side of the ball for UCF, you know, a team that's really risen into national prominence the last few years, led by uh, Dylan Gabriel right now. But you got guys out at uh, wide receiver like Jalen Robinson who have been standout guys. So I think this will be an exciting game and one that you're definitely going to want to watch. Okay, now let's get into your Power 5 matchups for Week 1. We talked about Power 5 game, right? Nebraska-Illinois was the uh, the Big Ten game kicking off the season uh, on August 28th in Week 0. Let's talk about Penn State at Wisconsin. Let's keep it in the Big Ten. This is a noon kickoff on Fox, Saturday, September 4th. This is one of the, I mean, this is one of the games I think that's going to be a marquee game of Week 1. I mean, really, I know it's a noon kickoff, which kind of sucks, but this is still a battle between two of the best teams in the Big Ten. Now, before you say, well, wait, wait a minute now, Penn State last year, well, you know, how can you possibly say that they're one of the best teams in the Big Ten? I treat last year as more of a fluke. I don't see the Nittany Lions uh, going through a similar experience to the one that they went through at the beginning uh, of last season. Now, certainly, I, I could be wrong about that, right? Penn State uh, as with many teams, right? Michigan is another good Big Ten team uh, as an example that's that's proven me wrong before. But I have faith in the Nittany Lions. I really do. I think they're one of the better uh, teams in the East that can challenge Ohio State. And, you know, again, you, you look at last year, the COVID year, the anomaly that it was, right? You started 0-5. I think they were the first top 10 AP-ranked top 10 team in the preseason to start 0-5 in college football history. Uh, the Indiana loss was so controversial and so unexpected that I think it really kind of took them off guard. They, they played well against Ohio State that following week, lost by 13, and then the Maryland, Nebraska, Iowa stretch, they were just, their hearts weren't in it anymore, but they were able to rebound and win their last four games to finish the season four and five. So I think Penn State is, you know, they still have some stuff left to prove, right? We're, we're giving them a top 20 ranking in the AP poll for preseason. They're at 19, uh, but Nebraska's got a 12 next to their name. And, uh, you know, Nebraska, did, or I'm sorry, excuse me, Wisconsin, rather. Wisconsin has a 12 next to their name, and they didn't exactly impress me a ton last year either. So, yes, these are two of the better teams in the Big Ten, but they still have a lot to prove. Uh, you know, last season for both these schools were, were pretty disappointing. And I think they're trying to go into it with the mindset of that those were, you know, anomalies. They're going to get back on track. And this game, specifically in a week one matchup, conference opponent would go a long way to kind of restoring that mentality they had from the end of 2019 where they, you know, were doing well, performing well on a hot streak, uh, both of these schools. So this is a big game for just the mental state and and where these teams and how they view themselves moving forward for the rest of the season. 
Um, you know, Nittany Lions have, have got Sean Clifford at quarterback, and you've got wide receiver Jahan Dotson uh, that are looking to improve an offense that really did struggle a lot last year. Okay, Penn State had a lot of issues on the offensive side of the ball. And then if you're the Badgers, you uh, you kind of saw what Graham Mertz at quarterback was doing last year, some flashes of greatness. Hey, maybe he could possibly lead you to the top of the Big Ten West. I mean, last season I was saying, okay, it's it's Wisconsin or Minnesota that's going to challenge Ohio State in the Big Ten title game. Uh, now, I ended up being Indiana, of all schools, but this game right here, if things go how many people are expecting it to, this Penn State-Wisconsin game in week one could be a pretty big determining factor in how the rest of the conference uh, you know, kind of shakes out throughout the season. So this is a game you're definitely going to want to tune into and watch. It should be, uh, I think, a super exciting uh, conference matchup. All right, let's look at another. I mean, let's just keep it in the Big Ten, right? Because the Big Ten, I think you could say it's got some of the best games in week one. Uh, and, and, you know, again, it doesn't necessarily have to be a ranked matchup for it to be a great game. But this one is another ranked matchup, and it's Indiana at Iowa. So number 17, Indiana, the Hoosiers traveling to Ames, Iowa, taking on the Hawkeyes. This kicks off at 3.30 p.m. on the Big Ten Network on Saturday, September 4th. This is a big game for Indiana. Indiana is entering this season with their first preseason ranking since 1969. That's, that's right, you heard me correctly. It has been over 50 years since the Indiana Hoosiers were ranked in the preseason poll. That is almost an incredible statistic. Now, a lot of that preseason hype, if you will, is attributable to that dynamic quarterback, Michael Penix Wright, the guy who made all the plays last season, was injured there towards the end. Uh, and then, you know, some of their skill players, really. I mean, you got wide receivers like Ty Freifrogel. Fry Is that how you say this guy's name? This is What, what, a, what a last name. Um, but still, dynamic playmakers for Indiana. And this is going to be, I think, a good test for them because Iowa's a physical football team. Iowa embodies that physicality that we saw from, like, a Michigan State several years ago in terms of the Big Ten. And what you think of when you think of a big, physical Big Ten football team, right, that's kind of what Iowa has started to embody a little bit. So this is going to be a good test for them. Uh, the Hawkeyes uh, are kind of a ground-and-pound football team. They, their leading rusher uh, last season was averaging almost five yards a carry. I mean, that's pretty impressive. This is going to be a competitive game with very different styling styles of, of coaching and play calling right I mean you're not going to see um, the same type of, of stuff on either side of the field because you've, you've got Iowa that's that physical team that ground and pound they're going to just pummel you pummel you pummel you and in Indiana with Michael Penix right he's going to do that dynamic twirl Johnny Manziel-esque style play and so it, it could you know it could be I think uh, a, a battle between who has the the superior uh, playbook and how they're able to use their strengths, um, you know, as opposed to to their opponent. And I think again, this this right here, this kind of matchup will help determine 
how the Big Ten shakes out the rest of the year and what style of play in the Big Ten is going to work. Is it going to take a ground and pound defense first, running the ball over and over kind of football team to win a Big Ten division? Or can you get a little cute, dazzle, you know, put some razzle-dazzle in there, like in Indiana, and and possibly cruise to another uh, shot at a Big Ten championship? So this is a good game. This is arguably, I think, one of the more intriguing matchups of Week 1, and one you should definitely uh, check out. All right, we got a couple more on the slate, uh, and they're probably ones that you have thought of and been like, wow, is he not going to mention these games? And yes, I'm getting to them, saving them for last. Uh, We got Miami, the number 14 Hurricanes, taking on the number one Crimson Tide, Alabama, 330 ABC in Georgia, right in Atlanta, Georgia. So the U, is it back? Well, there's no better way to figure out if the U is back than to watch Miami take on the defending national champions in Alabama Saturday afternoon. Uh, Listen, Derek King from Miami, phenomenal playmaker. He returns from his his ACL injury that he had uh, last year, and uh, all eyes are going to be on him to make plays to establish that momentum for Miami and to kind of get that positive mindset flowing on the sidelines for Miami get them juiced up into the ball game because make no mistake about it they understand they're underdogs in this game for a reason like Miami as cocky and as confident as the Hurricanes may portray them to be on the side may portray themselves to be on the sidelines reality is these guys know what they're going up against they're going up against the juggernaut of all juggernauts in the season opener, so there's not as many reps. Uh, you know, things you, know, you still got kinks on both sides of the ball that you got to iron out, and um, it's going to be a really tough test for the Hurricanes. Uh, now, on the Alabama side of the ball, you've got Bryce Young, the new young uh, quarterback. We're going to see if he can follow in the footsteps uh, of of the other quarterbacks that have come through. Um, you know, Tuscaloosa, these, these past two quarterbacks have been first-round picks and Heisman finalists. So, again, you know, a lot to live up to. And if you're Bryce Young, you're inheriting, uh, you know, a really great football team all the way around. Obviously, the you know, the, the premier team in college football right now, it's loaded with NFL talent, especially on defense. And I have, I have held this position since I've done this podcast now for almost five years you have got to have an elite level defense to win a national championship in college football. You know, it, it doesn't matter what you're able to do on offense. You've got to have a good defense. And in many cases, it has to be an elite defense, especially with this new college football playoff set up and the semifinal games and having that extra game. Like, you look at the teams recently that have won the national championship Alabama, LSU, Clemson. When the years that they won those national titles, their defense was undisputed the best in the country. I mean, it's just hard to argue that there was anybody out there from a defensive standpoint that could compete with those guys. So Alabama is poised to be in really good position for this season. I expect uh, Miami to test them a little bit. Should be an interesting game to watch. One you you may want to um, you know put on reserve. Uh, I do think Alabama will pull away about midway through the third quarter. But, uh, you know, hey, Canes may hang around. You never know. Week one college football, crazy things have 
have happened and I'm sure will continue to happen. All right, last game we're going to talk about here for week one. You probably know what it is. It's Georgia taking on Clemson in Charlotte Saturday evening, 7.30 p.m. in the game of the week on ABC. Uh, This is the most anticipated game of the week. In fact, all the way back in 2013, the season opener, Georgia traveling to Clemson, was the game of the week, most anticipated week one game, and it was an instant classic that Clemson prevailed uh, in the last few minutes there and ended up winning, I think, 38-35. to 35. Uh, And really, that, that win, the win a couple years prior with the uh, Chick-fil-A Bowl against LSU, those were the types of games that really helped Clemson ascend into that national conversation. This was prior to any sort of college football playoff uh, appearances, right? And so that was a huge game for the Tigers, huge game for Dabo Sweeney, huge game for the program. Georgia obviously returned the favor to Clemson the year after in 2014 when Clemson traveled between the hedges down in Athens and Georgia handed Clemson a loss. But this is a, this, you know, this is a top five matchup for a reason. Clemson is coming off a extremely disappointing semifinal loss, probably their worst beatdown. I said at the time their worst beatdown in the postseason since the Orange Bowl against West Virginia where they gave up 70. And, uh, you know, listen— Anything less than a playoff appearance for the Clemson Tigers is, is a disappointing season. I mean, we, we, we know that, right? They've made six straight college football playoffs. A loss here wouldn't necessarily rule it out, but they would already be, be playing from behind after one week of college football action. And that's not something that Clemson wants to be dealing with because they're, again, in a weak conference in the ACC, so it doesn't give them as much leeway and wiggle room as Georgia, who can sustain a non-conference loss to a top-five school, play in an SEC championship or beat maybe an Alabama or an A&M and be fairly comfortable, right? Even if they were to take down Florida, Georgia should still be in the conversation. For Georgia, they haven't been to the playoffs since 2017. So they are trying to get back to that national prominence and that Final Four the, uh, the Bulldogs hope that full offseason for quarterback JT Daniels will pay dividends this year. And there's talent across the board, right? Offense, defense, Clemson, Georgia, doesn't matter. There is top talent at all positions. Uh, this is probably going to be, I'd say, one of the top five games of the year. I mean, there was always a couple that come out of nowhere, right, in like week six or week seven, or maybe it was a week 13 game. But this is certainly one where if things shake out how we're anticipating, this is going to be another all-time classic. I'm really excited that this is a neutral site location because, again, back in 2013 and then following year in 2014, right, it was a home-and-home home series, which was cool. And I do think home-and-home home should still uh, be around for those you know unique rivalry type games because again Clemson Georgia officially they are a rivalry uh, but it's nice to see them play at a neutral site location right Charlotte's very close for both of these schools um, you know I guess some people will say well it's closer to a home game for Clemson because you know Clemson's campus is closer to Charlotte than, than Georgia's um, but you know if they were playing in Atlanta you could make the same argument about Georgia so point is these these two schools close to Charlotte Fans will make that drive, make no doubt about it. And there's tons of alumni and fans already 
of these two schools in the Charlotte area. So this is certainly going to be, again, the biggest game of week one. Huge playoff implications for both Clemson and Georgia. And uh, yeah, I mean, this is going to be a really big matchup week one. So those are the big games that you're going to want to watch week one of college football. Uh, Let's take a break now. We're going to come back and talk about who the favorite is in each of the Power Five conferences, who you should be picking as your conference champions in those conferences. That discussion is next. Stick with us. Welcome back to the show. Thanks so much for tuning in to After Further Review. I'm Jay Smith. Appreciate it as always. And man, uh, we just got through talking about some of the best games of week one for this 2021 college football season that's about to kick off here uh, next weekend. I'm so excited for it. Let's talk now about some uh, some Power 5 action. We, we've mentioned some games in the Power 5, certainly, uh, for, for week one. Spent a lot of time talking about the Big Ten, but, uh, you know, let's, let's see who, who your favorite should be for each of these Power Five conferences, while we still have a Power Five, right? Because I'm not sure how much longer that's going to be a thing. We might be looking at the, uh, what do we want to call it, the the, uh, the the Big Four? I mean, you know, it, it's going to have to be, I think, something a little different if, if the Big 12 does end up dissolving and, and going away. But uh, certainly, yeah, the Big Four or, or something along those lines uh, just depending on how everything everything shakes out. So, with that being said, though, let's get into let's get into it. Let's start off alphabetical with the uh, the ACC, probably the easiest conference to pick. Again, this is this has become a bit of a tradition. I've been doing this show since 2016, and I don't think Clemson has not been favored to win the ACC any year since I have started this podcast, which is truly incredible. Um, but that stays the case again this year, and my pick out of the ACC to win it all are the Clemson Tigers, a uh, school that you know has dominated the conference. They've been the class of the conference. Everybody else is just okay. UNC is certainly, I think, the school that's shown the most consistency. Uh, now, don't get me wrong, right? Like, there's been you know teams like NC State. Louisville, Syracuse, uh, that have emerged, Pitt even for a couple of years, that have emerged and that have, you know, been competitive with Clemson. Uh, Florida State's taken a pretty sharp nosedive. I don't see their program rebounding for another few years. Um, But there's just been nobody that's really matched Clemson and, and come close. Again, though, the Coastal has North Carolina with Mac Brown, and then you got Miami, um, who, you know, we'll, we'll have to see how they perform against Alabama. I'm not expecting a win in that game, but if the Hurricanes play them tough, you know, that might bode well for them for their ACC slate, and they may, you know, have a, have a shot at playing Clemson in an ACC championship. Now, the biggest game for, uh, I think, the Coastal Division this year is going to be Miami at UNC on October 16th. That'll be, I think, the, the deciding game of the Coastal uh, Miami, though, doesn't have to worry about playing Clemson this year, whereas uh, UNC... Oh, no, UNC actually doesn't play them either. I, I was mistaken. I thought that Clemson and UNC were scheduled to play one another, but it, they are not, actually. They typically do. Clemson's ACC schedule is Georgia Tech at home. They travel to NC State. They host Boston College. 
travel to Syracuse and Pitt. They host Florida State, travel to Louisville, and then they host Wake Forest. Uh, And a pretty weak non-conference slate, too, for the Tigers. Besides that Georgia game, they have South Carolina State, UConn, and then at South Carolina. At South Carolina used to be a pretty decent game. Certainly it's not anymore. UConn is a trash throwaway game. South Carolina State is a throwaway game. So it's really the Georgia game for Clemson. There's there's no one else on their schedule currently ranked besides Georgia. So Clemson, I guess Clemson's approach this year is is just getting in on brand name alone, right? Because if if they fall to Georgia, as we talked about this previous segment, if Clemson drops the game to Georgia and they start 0-1, I mean, they can wreck the rest of this schedule and finish 11-1, and and I think I think they may have a tough time staying out, staying around in the top 10. I mean, really, because there's not going to be... There, there are going to be uh, tons of teams with better resumes, right? There's going to be very few teams with worse, worse resumes uh, that are going to be one-loss teams. I mean, certainly Clemson may have the best loss in the country if they were to lose to Georgia. But, I mean, you look at the rest of the schedule and it just nothing sticks out at all. Uh, the Pitt game is on the road. The NC State game is on the road. But that is, that is it for Clemson. So the Georgia game really does uh, take on a you know, ton of significance for them. All that being said, and we're just discussing their playoff uh, you know, prospects here, but, but for the ACC, they should blaze through it. There's no one that should challenge them, and I think they, they win it handily. Uh, the Big 12, the Big 12 has uh, is, is got uh, Oklahoma and Texas around for a few more years, unless things really get drastic and shake up soon. Uh, but you have three ranked teams right now in the Big 12. You got Iowa State, you got Oklahoma, and you have Texas. Now, there's, I think, a pretty big gap between those three schools and the rest of the conference, right? Like Baylor, Kansas, Kansas State, Texas Tech, even West Virginia. They're not anywhere near competing with those top three schools in Iowa State, Oklahoma. And Texas. The funny thing is, though, if you go to last season, like let's say if we want to look at at Iowa State, this is a school and a team that last year under Matt Campbell performed really, really well. Uh, they were eight and three in the regular season, finished uh, with a bowl win against Oregon, top twenty-five team at the time there. Uh, and and you know the Cyclones had that anomaly loss to Louisiana Lafayette at the beginning of the season. It was a bad loss, too. 31-14, sloppy on both sides of the ball, uh, couldn't really get anything going on offense. But they rebounded well, and they actually beat Oklahoma right in Week 3. They took them down 37-30, to and everybody thought, whoa, Matt Campbell, the Iowa, Iowa State Cyclones, man, they, these guys are coming for the Big 12 title. Well, then they dropped that game at Oklahoma State 24-21. It's a hard-fought game, very uh, closely contested, but it was a three-point loss. And that right there kind of did them in uh, in terms of their momentum because up to that point they were taking care of opponents pretty handily. And uh, they played well the rest of the season, uh, taking down Texas on the road. So they, they beat both Oklahoma and Texas, Iowa State did, right? But when you got to the postseason, when you got to the Big 12 
title game on December 19th. They were taking on Oklahoma again in that rematch, and they lost it 27-21. to Oklahoma was able to prevail and take the title. And a lot of people were super disappointed in the way that Iowa State played in that game, and, and I was too to a certain extent because they certainly came out pretty flat. But uh, I think overall, it was a great season and year for them just in terms of establishing uh, you know, some positive momentum and also convincing that locker room and those guys and that coaching staff to kind of believe in Iowa State and the fact that these guys can compete for a Big 12 title. I mean, it certainly showed me that we should at least be taking the Cyclones seriously come every fall. So I think Iowa State is, is a good pick here. Um, you know, I mean, you also, again, have Texas and Oklahoma. I am not inclined to pick the Longhorns. Um, if, you know, again, between, between Iowa State, Texas, and Oklahoma, I still default to, to Oklahoma. It's just, it's been their title now, what, for the last five years? And, um, you know, their, their schedule this season is fairly soft because they host Texas, and they host Iowa State, right? Iowa State, obviously, would they have to travel to Oklahoma, um, you know, because Oklahoma's having them at home. So the Sooners get both the Longhorns and the Cyclones at home. They do have to travel to Oklahoma State at the end of the season, November 27th. But if they've already, you know, locked up a, a spot in the Big 12 title game at that point, you know, it, it may not be uh, something they're too concerned with, even though that is a rivalry game for the Oklahoma Sooners. So I think Oklahoma is still the team to pick in the Big 12. But listen, Iowa State is lurking, and you really you can't you can't write them off. I mean, I I I I still don't think they're quite there, um, but they're they're close. They're really really close. The games I'm going to be watching for Iowa State this season are uh, their out-of-conference game against Iowa, that rivalry game, week two, September 11th. Uh, that'll be a huge game. That's a home game for the Cyclones. But again, as we talked about previously, right, Iowa, the, the Hawkeyes, that ground-and-pound physical Big Ten football team, if Iowa State can perform well against those guys and take them down and win that game, I think it bodes well for the rest of of their slate in the in the Big 12. And I know that Big 12 isn't known for their physicality, but still, you know, that game against Iowa is going to take everything those guys have, right? It's going to be a physical football game, all 60 minutes. It's going to, you know, take a lot out of them. And if they're able to prevail in that, I think they're going to find those Big 12 matchups to, to probably play a little bit easier. And so that, that could bode well for the Cyclones if they're able to beat uh, their rival, the Iowa Hawkeyes. Um... You know, you know, week two, September 11th. All right, let's look at the, uh, let's see, we've done the, the ACC. Now we've done the Big 12. So we've got, uh, we got the Big 10 on tap now, our third Power 5 conference. And man, I, you know, what, what to say about the Big 10? This is a, a conference that I thought was going to be, uh, you know, have a shot at, at being the deepest uh, you know, just in terms of, of overall, um, you know, both divisions being competitive and, and, and jockeying for positions. You know, I, I thought between those five schools in Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, Minnesota, Wisconsin, there would be enough intrigue, but there just wasn't, right? Penn State couldn't win a football game 
Michigan was inconsistent. Wisconsin couldn't score. Minnesota was awful. Uh, and so there was a lot of questions at the end of the Big Ten season, a lot of uh, questions that we didn't have at the start. Now this season, we've got three ranked teams in the East, Indiana, Ohio State, Penn State, and then two ranked teams in the West, in Iowa and Wisconsin. I just don't think Indiana is going to have the depth to compete all season long with teams like Ohio State and Penn State. Again, I am a firm believer that this Penn State team will write off last season as an anomaly, and they'll rebound and have a respectable year. Ohio State, uh, they have a pretty soft Big Ten schedule uh, up till late October. I mean, they're playing at Minnesota, at Rutgers, they host Maryland, um, and then you got at Indiana, and then Penn State at home. I think Penn State will be the tougher game between those two, Penn State and Indiana for Ohio State, so I think it bodes well for them to have the Penn State game uh, at the horseshoe. And uh, beyond that, uh, uh, you know, Ohio State's going to have at Nebraska, Purdue, Michigan State, at Michigan. There's no one really there that I don't think you know is going to be able to compete with, with the Buckeyes. So Ohio State, I think, is a good pick out of the East. And then you really just have to look at the West and say, well, it's, it's Iowa or Wisconsin. And I think I would take a more physical football team, which I can't believe I'm saying this, the Iowa Hawkeyes are a more physical football team right now than the Wisconsin Badgers. Now, we will have the opportunity to see uh, these two schools match up against one another on October 30th at noon when Iowa travels to Camp Randall. But I think right now Iowa has the upper hand. I would I would give the nod to Iowa. I'd still pick Ohio State as my Big Ten champ. But I think Iowa has got a really good shot at, uh, at winning the West out of the Big Ten this season. All right, let's move on now to the Pac-12, uh, the conference that's, yes, it's, it's still there. We still, we're still talking about the Pac-12. Four, uh, excuse me, five, five ranked teams. Yeah, I'm looking here at the AP poll. Five ranked teams for the Pac-12 this preseason. You got Oregon at 11, Washington at 20, Arizona State 25th, USC 15th, and Utah at uh, at twenty fourth. So you know, hey, maybe maybe the Pac twelve has has turned a corner here. Um, Oregon is is I think the easy pick out of the North. There's just you know Oregon State, Cal, uh, Washington State, Stanford. They've really dropped off. The Huskies uh, out of Washington are the only school that I think can compete with Oregon. And there's just too many skill players. For the Ducks, uh, they're just going to overwhelm the Huskies. They do play one another November 6th. That'll probably be the game that'll determine the division, uh, the Pac-12 North. But I, I, I think Oregon's a safe pick there. Uh, but when you look at the South, that's the interesting division for the Pac-12, right? You got Arizona State, you got uh, Colorado, you got you know USC, Utah, UCLA, uh, Arizona. Uh, that'll be, I think, the interesting division. USC has been given a top 15 nod. That feels a little bit generous. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see how they perform. 
uh, I, I, you know, one of their biggest issues the last few seasons has really just been consistency, consistency at quarterback, consistency on defense. Um, you know, lots of times late in games when they've got possession of the ball, their drives stall out. You know, it's it, a lot. Some of that can be attributed to play calling, but also at the end of the day, that's a that's an area and a time where the quarterback has to execute, and we haven't really seen that out of USC these past uh, few seasons. So, you know, Trojans uh, last year, I mean, again, coming off that strange COVID year where they were only able to play a handful of games, I know they went 5-1. and one. Their only loss was to Oregon. But how well can you really gauge a team when they're only playing six uh, games total? Uh, you know, so we'll, we'll, we'll see. Uh, as far as my pick, though, right now, I think... Uh, a good pick for the the Pac-12 South is uh, I think it's Utah. I think Utah uh, could come out of nowhere and uh, and and steal the the Pac-12 South. Uh, when you look at their their schedule, um, you know they they do have USC and Arizona State right back to back. You got uh, a away trip to USC uh, October 9th, and then a home game against Arizona State October 16th. But if they're able to get through those games, you know, two and zero, one and one, that back half of the schedule is looking pretty, uh, pretty easy. At Oregon State, UCLA, Stanford, Arizona, should be able to handle that no problem. You do have Oregon and Colorado at the end of the year, but we've seen Utah on the national stage recently, right? Have a chance to to almost get into the college football playoff there. Um, a couple of years ago, but I think Utah might be might be a good pick out of the uh, the Pac-12 South. Though still, my champion right now would be the Oregon Ducks. I would be picking the Oregon Ducks as my uh, Pac-12 champion. All right, last and certainly not least, we have the SEC. Right, just means more. Uh, you save the best for last. Uh, you got, uh, goodness, in the East, you got Florida and Georgia. They seem to duke it out every year. Uh, Kentucky, Mizzou, South Carolina, Tennessee, Vanderbilt, they don't really even matter. Um, I just listed five SEC teams, and they don't matter. Uh, they will not factor into the East, uh, at all. It is a Florida-Georgia race in the East. And again, those two teams are going to play one another. If you look at the schedule, October 30th, uh, 3.30 p.m. in Jacksonville, the Florida-Georgia game. Huge rivalry, and that will likely determine uh, who has the advantage in the SEC East. Now, the West is probably the more interesting division. Interesting because Alabama actually has a challenger in Texas A&M. Right? Texas A&M, their sole loss last year was to Alabama. It was a pretty close game, closer than I expected Finally, seems like Jimbo is getting the Aggies to, you know, a pretty respectable uh, place, and they're they're you know competitive in their own conference. They're winning football games. They're moving the ball well. They got a pretty solid defense. Not an elite defense, okay? Not an elite defense, but a solid defense. Uh, and I think they're deserving of their top ten preseason ranking. Now, the Aggies still need to win the division, okay? They still need to beat Alabama. They're gonna. Uh, host the Crimson Tide October 9th, but the rest of that schedule 
it's looking pretty, pretty good for the for AM, right? You, you know, conference wise, you've got Arkansas, Mississippi State, Mizzou, South Carolina, Auburn, Old Miss, and LSU. It's it's the Alabama game. That's the game that'll determine. I mean, if if you wanted to pick two games in the SEC this year to watch, it's Florida, Georgia, and it's AM Alabama. Those are, I think, essentially play-in games to an SEC championship. Because the winner of those games, unless something crazy happens, they're gonna go to they're gonna go to Atlanta. They're, they they have punched their ticket to Atlanta. And those games are both late enough in the season, right? You got AM Alabama October 9th, you got Florida, Georgia. October 30th, those games are late enough in the season to where it's a pretty safe bet that the winner, unless something crazy goes on, they're going to get a lock for a spot in Georgia, which is almost a play-in game for a playoff spot, sort of. Because, again, you know, we've seen SEC schools uh, even that have just played in the conference championship, right? They they get uh, in that discussion for a playoff spot, one of those four coveted playoff spots. So, it's going to come down to Florida, Georgia, and it's going to come down to A&M, Alabama. Now, do I think A&M will beat Alabama? Do I think Florida will beat Georgia? It's almost impossible to say right now. And again, this is all speculation. Uh, I, I think this is the year that A&M beats Alabama. I don't think Florida will beat Georgia. I think we will see Texas A&M and Georgia in an SEC championship. And I I would almost favor Georgia in that matchup. I would pick the dogs to win the SEC if they were matching up against Texas A&M. If it was an Alabama team they were facing off against, I'd probably roll with the Crimson Tide. But I am riding high on Jimbo and his Aggies, and I think what he did this past season was impressive. Again, after a little bit of grumbling going on, people starting to say, hey, Jimbo, what are you What are you doing down there? You know, College Station, start winning some games, man. So uh, yeah, I think I think you could see an A and M Georgia matchup, and ultimately, I think the Dogs might uh, come out on top in the SEC, which would make things for the playoff so interesting, right? Because you'd have an Alabama team that probably would only have a loss, one loss to A and M, but they wouldn't have played in their conference championship game. So what what do you do with them? Like, do they get the fourth spot, and then? You know, do you, do you bump out another conference champion? Like if you've got a Clemson that's undefeated or a one-loss Clemson, let's say Clemson beats Georgia, runs the table except for one game, and, and finishes, what, they'd be 12-1? and one. Do they get bumped out for a one-loss, like 11-1 and one Alabama to get in? Uh, that, that's, that's when you really get into the whole, you know, politics of the college football playoff, which, again, all speculation is just things – running through my head that could potentially happen uh, if Georgia were to prevail over A&M in an SEC championship. Either way, there's a lot of good games, a lot of good teams in the Power Five across the board this season. Uh, certainly the Big 12, you know, is going to be, their minds will be elsewhere uh, for a lot of it this, this season. I'm hopeful that the ACC begins to get a little bit deeper uh, I, I think that the Pac-12 has really stepped up these past uh, couple of seasons, and you know, well, maybe the SEC will prevent some will present some new storylines 
and give us some more intrigue. But if there's two games you need to circle, it's Florida, Georgia, and Texas A&M, Alabama, uh, if you want to you know, see who uh, is the lead dog in the SEC this fall. All right, one last break. Briefly, we'll wrap up the show. We come back, we're going to talk about Oregon and Oregon State. They were the first uh, state schools to mandate vaccination status for entry to college football games. That's next. Welcome back to the show. Last segment of this episode of After Further Review. Again, I'm Jay Smith. Thanks for tuning in, sticking around. Uh, we'll wrap up the show here. Really quickly want to touch on this story that broke a couple of days ago on Friday out of Eugene, Oregon, where Oregon and Oregon State became the first Power 5 schools to announce they will require proof of vaccination or a negative COVID test for people over the age of 12 to attend their football games. So in this announcement that came out on Friday, uh, the school said the decision was made with public health authorities uh, and that the uh, rules would state that a negative test result must be within three days of the event. Again, this mandate goes into effect Monday, and um, you know cases around the country right have have continued to rise. So a lot of uh, a lot of health officials feel like this sort of decision will um, you know improve the, I guess decrease the likelihood of of a spreader event at a at a at a game, which I would be supportive of. I think that's a good decision. I don't think we should just let people back in willy-nilly and, and not know whether or not someone could possibly be infected. I also, you know, wonder about the logistics of this and how well this will be run and, and overseen. I mean, this sounds like a logistical nightmare. Um, you know, it's one thing to require vaccinations for like a student population where you can see, okay, this person's enrolled in these classes, they're this year as a student, you know, that kind of stuff. It's another thing where somebody buys a ticket off a StubHub and shows up and wants to go to the game. I mean, that that's, I feel like, going to be tricky. Um, still, though, Oregon and Oregon State are one of several Pac-12 schools requiring students and employees to be vaccinated or to have applied for an exemption. Uh, Oregon, the Ducks, they open their season... Uh, with a uh, a, tr- a, um, a game, they don't travel, actually, they, they play at home, September 4th against Fresno State, and the Beavers of Oregon State also begin at home on uh, September 11th against Hawaii. Now, Hawaii actually was the first major college football school to say that they have no fans in attendance for their sporting events because of their recent COVID surge in Hawaii. Um, that I don't think will transfer to a lot of other schools uh, in the U.S., at least the uh, continental U.S., but um, an interesting development there. And, um, you know, this is this is all announced about a week, I would say, after news broke out of Tulane and New Orleans that uh, the um, you would need a either proof of vaccination or a negative test to attend their sporting events. This was kind of done, I think, in conjunction with the announcement out of the New Orleans Saints office that um, that would, you know, basically be requiring either a proof of vaccination or a negative test to attend. So, interesting uh, nuggets there. I again, I don't, I don't think this will be a blanket adoption across college football. Um, 
you know, it's it's logistically, it's very challenging, I think, to implement and oversee something like this. I'm sure attempts are being made to do it well. Uh, I still, though, wonder uh, how this will will actually be, you know, overseen. Uh, but again, it's going to be a conference by conference thing. If if the ACC decides they don't want to do something like this, they want to have another protocol, they'll enact that. The Big Ten will probably do their own thing. The SEC, I mean, all these conferences, I'm sure, have already developed these contingency plans, and they're you know discussing them. I'm sure routinely in case they need to be implemented. Uh, hopefully, we don't have to worry about any sort of uh, of new you know. COVID policy where we can't, you know, people can't attend games. Like we're, we're hopeful that the numbers stay down so that people are able to continue attending games and we can get back to our, our, some sort of, of a state of normalcy, but interesting uh, news out of uh, Oregon this past Friday. So we'll, we'll monitor that, see how things develop. I, I do think just quickly to wrap up, I do think we're more likely to see an announcement of no fans than no game. Like, I don't think we're at the same point as we were last year where everything was so new and we were still trying to figure it all out that we were canceling games over a handful of positive cases. Now that there's uh, quarantine protocols in place and schools have procedures and policies and contact tracing and, and a lot of the um, you know medical uh, equipment, infrastructure, those things to monitor COVID cases at their respective institutions. I don't think we're going to see a lot of canceled games. Could be wrong. I'm, I hope I'm not. I hope I'm correct on that. But I, I think if there's any sort of change at all, it'll just be a reduction in the number of tickets allotted or there will be no fans for a couple weeks or, or something like that. Uh, I don't think we're going to see games canceled outright. So either way, this is uh, all the time we have for this edition of After Further View. Hey, week one of college football 2021 is uh, is coming up. It's fast approaching. I will probably put out an announcement either tomorrow on Monday or Tuesday, depending on when you're listening to the show, uh, for the AFR College Pick'em League. That is an annual tradition dating back to the original year that we started after further review back in 2016. So we will be doing an AFR college pick'em league. Always uh, enjoy doing that. And uh, we had, golly, I think we had 40 or 50 people do it last year. So that was, uh, that was really cool. Really enjoy doing that every single week and making those picks. So look out for that announcement and uh, yeah, enjoy the games this weekend. We'll have a lot more college football content coming your way. I'll definitely be uploading regularly uh, schedule permitting, and uh, I'm excited to kick back and watch some college football this coming weekend. Enjoy the rest of your day. We'll see you next time. I'm Jay Smith, and this has been After Further Review.